1: Hello and welcome to the Irish Examiners Sports Podcast, Paper Talk Extra with Peter McNamara. I'm joined in studio today by Rob McNamara, Stephen Barry and Mikey Sheehan. And today we're going to discuss Ireland's qualification campaign, Kevin Doyle and the topic of concussion in sport. Local Gaelic games coverage on TV, the structural changes as well as that. As well as golf, Uh, of course success there for Paul Dunn at British Masters last week. We're going to talk about the present state of Irish golfers on tour in 2018. We're going to begin by Ireland's, with Ireland's campaign in the World Cup qualifiers. Will Ireland get to Russia? Is the big question. Uh, it's a massive weekend for Martin O'Neill's team and Rob McNamara. In your opinion, how has the campaign gone as an as an overall entity
2: thus far? I think it's been a story of missed opportunities. Um, to be honest, um, I think we probably should have had. Second place nailed on by now, if not top spot. Really, really missed out um against Serbia. I think winning that game would have given us a bit of momentum going into the last two games against Moldova and Wales. But yet again we're we're hanging on by a tread um and realistically we have to win the next two games to stand any chance of, of going through, you know. Um I think a little bit more inventiveness, a little bit more risk taking. Wouldn't have gone astray in this qualifying campaign, because when you think about tournaments going forward in the next, the next eight, twelve years, it's going to get much easier to qualify. Um, if we miss out in on this one, you know, it's it's not a total disaster, but it is a really, really big missed opportunity on the part of Martin O'Neill, and Roy Keane. I really, really get stressed out watching this Ireland team because I feel that they're being held back. I think again it's a situation Um, returning to the previous manager Giovanni Trapattoni who just didn't trust the players. I think that is the case with Martin O'Neill as well. Um, there are players who possibly should have been given an opportunity that haven't. Um, Possibly because of the status of the club that they play at. Um, For one, Adam Rooney is, is, is a person who I can't understand has not been given an opportunity. Um, if you look at Ireland's record in this tournament, we're really, really lacking goals. I, I, I think um, you know, looking at the table there, we've scored nine goals in eight games. Um, that's poor. Um, Serbia has scored seventeen. You know, um, we're we're quite well organised and quite solid at the back. And um, we do give away silly goals from time to time. But it's going forward and just having that bit, create a bit of creativity. And inventiveness, and you know, Wes Hoolihan is not the solution to all our problems. The solution to our problems is, you know, not sticking with the same old players time after time. It's mixing it up and seeing what combinations work. But there doesn't seem to be a willingness from Martin O'Neill and and Roy Keane. I don't know. Maybe Roy Keane doesn't have that much input input into it. I I don't know. But um you just need to go for the jugular at times, and and, and this Irish team. You know, is probably capable of that, but they're being held back.
1: Mikey, before the campaign began, Ireland were seen as we say third or four favourites to progress. Yet in all, you could argue we had the group in our hands up until the last couple of games. That is obviously a source of frustration, and at the same time, in theory, uh, going back to that, we were seen as one of the teams that were going to struggle to qualify. But in practice, having watched all the teams in the group. There's no real world-class team in there, including Serbia. They're not. They weren't that much ahead of Ireland in any game, really, were they? Uh,
3: no, but I. I, I it, it's good to say that and look at the other teams and say that they're they're not up to much. But uh, I, I honestly don't think we're we're up to too much either. Uh, I, I take some of Rob's points on, on board, but like if you look at the possible starting the, the the squad actually for the Moldova game tomorrow night, six players are Premiership players, possibly seven if McCarthy makes it out of twenty-four like that's only a quarter of your squad for tomorrow night's game or premiership players um. I think Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane have done a good job with the players that they have at their disposal you know we're, we're talking about some of these players like uh, there's a huge clamour for Maguire to start tomorrow night or to, to get some game time over the next two like it, it's so hard he, he, up to a few months ago he was playing in the League of Ireland which like is you know he wasn't even been looked at he went to the championship he's, people got to remember he's got two goals in eight or nine games It's it's not prolific either like you know um if Murphy for North Forest is, has got six is probably deserving of the start ahead of him. Um so like th- there's a lot of talk about these players and the younger fellows coming in from the, the lad from Millwall, Aidan O'Brien, um, you know, or Dowda seems to get a game. But like they're playing with the likes of Millwall and Bristol City, you know, they, they they don't have the we don't have the quality or the strength and depth that let's say if you go back to even Mick McCarthy's time in two thousand and two, where I think of the squad he brought to the the to the World Cup, I think twenty one, twenty two of the players were Premiership players, were Premiership regulars, um, and had an, he had an, e- an easier job? So like, you're taking um, um, uh, o- o- I'm not I'm not fully defending him. I don't I don't agree with everything they do. Um, I think just again the clamour for who to start every game. Like if you if he was really that good, n- no matter what his age was, he'd be he'd be a regular with Norwich. He he's not, you know. So we're trying to in a way push, um square pegs into round holes Um, with the quality that we have now. Yes, th- th- that's one way of looking at it, like, but the flip side is that the group was in our hands and the the oppositions weren't poor, so why didn't we push on? That's the, that's the part I'd be looking at, the management kind of saying, geez, well, we went to Austria and we beat them, we should have won in Serbia. Um, how come we couldn't push on and beat a, what I thought was a very, very average Wales team? I know we were average as well, but we were the home team. Um, how come we couldn't beat them in in the Aviva Um, and then to go on and draw away to Georgia, who are you know I know we're average, but like they a level below us. We should have been capable of coming away away with a win there, especially after taking the early lead. And and the other point I I'd make about this team and and, and looking even at the team against Moldova tomorrow is if things don't go well for the first twenty minutes, thirty minutes to close that getting on the back. Who who's the leader? Within that, I don't see a leader in the midfield. I I don't believe Whelan's a leader. Uh, I think your, your main leader at this stage, and uh, he's still only very young in international wise is um, Shane Duffy at the back. and He's uh, he's probably one of the most inexperienced players. I don't think you're seeing leadership coming from any other area and I think that that isn't management, that's the players not taking on. Y- you know you would have been hoping that Brady or Hendricks would have taken on that mantle from following their experience at the Euros but they just haven't and so it, it's a combination of things. Um, lost opportunity it is, in a way, if you look at at the start, it's not. it got to be realistic with what, what the, the 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 deck of cards we have.
1: Mikey makes some good points. <clears throat> Maybe there is a source of, you know, excessive expectation on our part, Stephen. But at the same time, you can't get away from the fact that I personally believe. it look like they would never say so in public. But when they went to Georgia, was there an element of taking Georgia slightly for granted with the with the fact that the survey were on the horizon?
0: I don't know. Like it's been a trend in the last few games where they got themselves into a great position after four or five games. <coughs> me. But like they've drawn at home to Austria, lost at home to Serbia, away to Georgia, they were just very, very poor. And they've the repeated issue of when when they score, they're falling back, they're letting pressure come on top of them, and it just seems to be a combination of the attitude of the management and the players where. Like Rob talked about a lack of inventiveness, it's just not linked up thinking at any point. The defenders are sitting so far back, the midfielders are isolated, the strikers are expecting long ball over the top, so they're pushing up and like the lines aren't communicating. They're not passing the ball to each other effectively, and it just seems to be falling down. And like I think at this stage of Martin O'Neill's term, you look at the best games Ireland have played, like you've had the win against Germany, the win against Italy even in losing to France at the Euros, the playoffs. I was looking at the teams that played those games, and like Mikey mentioned, Darl Murphy, he's the consistent starter between those games. He started six games for Ireland, including those five games, and I think the draw against Scotland was the other one, where Ireland had many of their best performances, and I think that's just because they accept that they have them playing a long ball game for a lot of the campaign. Murphy's a long ball player, He's able to get win knockdowns for players they are able to run off him. If you have a Shane Long operating off of him as a pivot up front, then you have something. And I would like, love to see them play a much more passing, inventive game, but I think at this stage it's not going to happen under O'Neill and Keane. So I'd like to see them embrace what they have been so far this campaign. You know, play long ball up to Murphy. Don't be ashamed about it and work off that, because he is the one proven goal scorer. There is, and I saw Roy Keane talking about the likes of Maguire and Hogan and O'Brien and saying they're looking for a proven goal scorer. But if anyone there, Murphy was championship top scorer a few years ago. He's currently joint top scorer with a bottom half side and Nottingham Forest. So I'd be looking to him.
1: Rob, the thing about looking to players like Daryl Murphy and stuff like that, you know, it baffles me that we went to Georgia and we had Shane Long up front and you the whole team back. He was isolated on his own and you're playing the ball forward to him against two or three defenders at a time. Is that naive tactics, or am I being very harsh there, and the Martin the and rocking It's not naive tactics. It's okay. Sorry, it's it's that's wrong. The tactic was right, but the wrong man in the r- in the r- in the right place, so to speak. Like sh- <laughs> should let Shane Long have not been? Should he be the guy that's receiving the bottom knockdowns rather than trying to get the knockdowns?
2: Shane L- sh- Shane Long Shane Long can play as as a sole striker. He's capable of playing that role. The problem with playing a lone striker, and Ireland have done it several times in the past throughout all the managers from the 1980s, 1990s, 2000s. The problem with playing a lone striker is when, you, when, when, that, when that striker receives the ball he needs support, he needs players running off him. Um, Ireland don't have that. You know, The ball is knocked up to Shane Long, he takes it down, he looks around, there's nobody coming, there's no runs, he's got no options. That's not the players. The players are working on their directions. Professional footballers are... Well, I don't want to say puppets on a string, but you know, professional footballers will fall into whatever philosophy that the manager imposes. And Martin O'Neill is imposing this particular philosophy on the team. That's the way he wants to play. They went to Georgia, and it's not that they disrespected Georgia, or that they thought, you know, you know it was going to be an easy ride they actually paid too much respect to georgia in my opinion they went there and they played with the attitude after getting the early goal of this will do and when you have that attitude of this will do you're going to make mistakes and in international football you're going to get punished for that um and again, I'll go back to the point that I just don't think that the players are trusted. And Mikey made a very valid point that they're only working with the resources that they have. And you know, going back to the great Ireland teams of the 1980s, I mean, we we'd Paul McGrath, we'd Andy Townsend, Steve Staunton, you know, all those guys were playing for top teams. Packy Bonner was playing in a, a league-winning, you know, Celtic team. Um, we had stars, we had proper stars, you know, guys were playing week in and week out at the top level in English football and Scottish football. We don't have that anymore, and you know you have to accept that because of the way that the game has changed and the influx of foreigners and and all that. Um, but we're we're in the same situation as Wales and Northern Ireland, you know. And you look at Northern Ireland, they're you know they've they've navigated their group without without uh, much trouble because. Because their 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 manager has created an atmosphere where the players are trusted and where where they're playing to a system to their strengths. He's adapted the system to the players that he has, and he's got the maximum results from that. Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane are on very high salaries to do just that, to get the results from the the what little resources that they have. If they're not doing that then I don't see what they're doing for Irish football what you know what benefit is there for Irish football if we're just going to be going through the motions we need someone who's going to have more of an idea of what they want to do and I feel like Martin O'Neill after you know how many years is he in the job now two three years I feel like he still doesn't know what he wants to do with this side you know and giving him a new contract at this stage for me is is madness because we should we should be looking at the future of Irish football we should be investing in grassroots that's where the money should be going, not towards these you know name managers and uh, to be honest I'm surprised because I always liked Martin O'Neill as a manager Um, you know he came from that school that Brian Clough school you know Um, did great things at Wickham great things at Leicester um, you know he 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 didn't too bad do, do too bad at Sunderland either. You know things things didn't go too well for him at Celtic as well, and things didn't get go too well for him at at, at Aston Villa. But you know those things happen. But I always felt that he was a manager that got the players playing in the system that got him results against top teams. You know, Leicester, his Leicester teams always always went to Old Trafford and gave United a game, and United never got an easy three points. At Filbert Street or at the Walker Stadium, you know, it just it just didn't happen. So I'm dis I'm really really disappointed um, with Martin O'Neill, and I take Mikey's point saying that you know we're not working with the best players in in the world, but you know we are w- working with a top class manager and a top class assistant manager, and we should be getting more for our money, in my opinion.
1: Mikey, would you renew their contracts?
3: Um, look, I I think there's no need to. To look at this until after the mm-hmm. Wednesday night or sorry Monday night's game. Um, I don't think we should be concentrating on that. I I would still be disappointed if we didn't we didn't get there. Um, but as I keep going back to, like you know, R- Rob is right. We should be playing to our strengths, and I think we fail to recognise that long ball is probably our strength but long ball only works if you have the lad supporting like against Georgia it was a long ball to Shane Long and you had John Walters hobbling trying to get up and support him, Like it was never going to happen um, did there <laughs> like it was interesting there we talked about nineteen, the 1980s team which I believe was probably Ireland's greatest bunch of players uh, looking back it would be quite interesting if Jack Charlton had this team and Martin O'Neill had that team would you see different results you know, because I think Jack Charlton had the the hard working mentality of a of a long ball team. That's what we were. Put him under pressure. I think this the team and the players that we have would suit Jack Charlton's style of football more so than it suits what Martin O'Neill was trying to do and has probably failed to do as well as he had. Whereas if Martin O'Neill had that team, you could have had you had players that used to be able to play through the lines, out wide to the wings and through the through the middle. You had good players in all those positions playing at a good level at the Premiership. You did like Dennis Irwin. You know, uh, if you go in the later nineties, uh, Roy Keane as well. Um, you go back to the Townsends of this era. You know, all playing really good. Ray Houghton, at Liverpool as well. Um, quality all the way through. Robbie Keane and Noel Quinn up front. They worked, but like <laughs> it'd be very interesting to take it if Martin O'Neill had that team and uh, Jack Charlton had this team. In terms of the different philosophies, philosophies would that would have made a difference. Um, renewing the contracts for these guys again. I'll I'd wait. I still think there's an op- I think they should beat Moldova. I think Wales are just bang average the same as ourselves uh, without the Gareth Bale impact. And um, I, I still think that we'll, <laughs> after saying all that, there's still a very high possibility we'll get six points out of this. Results will go our way in the other groups, I believe, and just looking at the permutations. And we could be into a two-legged playoff, which we would have grabbed with both hands at the start of this
1: campaign. No, I have to admit, I am not as positive about the outcome of this campaign as you are, because... Even if we do get the six points, it, you know, typical Ireland's look. Like, they might end up getting six points and miss out by a goal difference or something crazy like that. Stephen, Mikey has been probably more positive than Rob has about the situation, right? Are you in the middle? Where do you stand? If Ireland fails to get a playoff out of where they've been, in my opinion, it's an absolute disaster. Now, I know now that might sound unfair... Given that Mikey makes a good point about the lack of resources and stuff like that, but the resources we have are surely capable of. In my opinion, I think the the Georgia performance is the worst I have seen as an Irish soccer fan, and I'm 31 years of age. Obviously, starting to start watching soccer when I was six and really appreciated it like all well, the rest of us when we were ten or twelve. So we say. 20 years of watching Ireland soccer I honestly, and this is not to be dramatic because I hate when people do that for the sake of it but I really can't remember a worse performance than that, I'm sure other journalists around the place around the country that follow, the literally cover team will probably come up with one or two other examples but off the top of my head, I, I can't and I just felt, in the circumstances going there I know with a big game on it, looming on the horizon in Surge- Serbia but to not go there and try and drive on the way Rob said when we, when we, when we went 1-up was criminal in my opinion I suppose we
0: do forget though that Georgia they're on our right side they're not yeah cannon right fodder like Wales have drawn with them, Wales have to go there again and get a result which isn't a guarantee so it was, was but more a matter of the
1: performance yeah exactly I could take not winning the game but I just felt not kicking on when we could have or at least Mm. attempted to kick on not to go back in our shell like we did was unfortunate which is kind of the story of the group given where they were after
0: five or six games but like it swings so quickly because like after six games O'Neill and Keane had qualified for the Euros were on track to get a playoff spot for the World Cup then two disastrous games and you know it's looking very bad now but I suppose I'm a lot more optimistic. Obviously, with Gareth Bale gone, and it levels the playing field between the deck Wales have and what we have. And the one thing in O'Neill's defence, and the performances haven't been consistent for a lot of his tenure, but he has got big performances and big results when they were needed, and he has managed to rearrange the team in such a way to pull out a win against Germany when it all looked very unlikely to get through a tricky, not the toughest playoff but a tricky playoff against Bosnia and to even at the Euros to get the result against Italy and to have a performance against France so he has had his moments and you wouldn't put a past him um, this weekend for sure but it does need to be a complete change of attitude because the performance just wasn't there and the attitude isn't there when they go a goal ahead repeatedly. Those failures are there. And you'd just love to see, going into that Wales game, if it is a, w- if both teams have to win, which is probably the situation given the permutations in all the g- other groups and the possibility that whoever finished second in Group D might miss out. But you'd love to see a game where Wales and Ireland both have to win and Ireland just go for it and trust. They have a decent defence. They can trust them. They can push the midfield on a bit more. Try to link up play, and try to, you know, build up
1: that goal tally because it's not been good enough. Okay, so I'm going to go around the desk. We're recording this obviously on Thursday. The Moldova game is on the Friday night, and Wales on Monday night. Assuming Ireland beat Moldova, which we would like to think they will, they're one to seven, one to ten to do so. Rob, will they go and get the win in Wales? Yes
2: or no? No, okay. I hope I hope I'm completely proven wrong, but I I just think the Wales have more match winners on their side.
1: Mikey, um, I think
3: they will. I I I I put my faith into the the Roy Keane and Martin O'Neill combo. Uh, I think Steve mentioned that there when the results were needed the big ones are needed. They've got them, and I, I yeah I think w- why not? I suppose is my my point. What have we got to fear in the the Welsh team?
1: Personally, I don't think it's not the Welsh team really fair. It's the, t- it's the approach that I fare more than I is personally, Steve.
0: Yeah, I'd be thinking 1-1 one, one draw is kind of the result to go for when it's an Ireland match. And I could definitely see that. There's just the, As much as they have played well at times, the run of form they're in at the minute. They have a great chance, but I don't know. They could even win it and miss out on permutations, which would be particularly gutting. But I don't know. One one seems the safe best when Ireland are playing anywhere.
1: Okay, we'll move it along to our second topic of discussion. Mikey, it's a hot topic. Kevin Doyle came out, said he announced his retirement from from football, intimating there was issues there of potential concussion in the past and stuff like that. And since Roy Keane has since had his view as he does, and absolutely everything has had a, a comment to make on that. Everyone is talking about it. Concussion has been to the forefront of sports discussions for quite a month, quite a long time. I remember we were starting to talk, doing ball talk here in the examiner, was it a year and a half, two years ago, Rob? Yeah. You, you know, we were talking about concussion then. I've often had discussions with Steve Barry, all the lads on the floor. It's, it's topical all the time, but not really in soccer until now. How much of a problem is concussion in sport to the point of, you know, some people are on about ruling headers out of the game in the future and stuff like that. Is that too far, or is there never is there nev- can you never do enough to to prevent these things? Uh,
3: uh, look, I think I think, uh, and I, I go back to this is would be my the point I'd second, a huge amount more research needs to be done into this area in soccer. That's where we need to start. We need to actually, you know, we had the Jeff Astle incident was it, last year. Um, that was the one that kind of sprang this from uh, the, the, the springboard for the concussion discussion in soccer. But we really need to invest in the research into this first before we go off and start changing the game, right? And, and there is Ke- Kevin Doyle, you know, Kevin Doyle was one of these players who true himself at everything he was like a rugby player if the ball was there he was going in to win it whether he was putting his head on the line nick on the line he was that type of player He he's your typical Irish player that you wanted to see working hard and he used to work so hard for the team and no matter what team whether that was Reading or where he finished up in the the DMLS he he was just throwing his head at everything type of player you'd love to see playing you know because he was giving you 100% and there was loads of those types of players don't get me wrong but until we get the research into the impact that heading the football has had on, you know, it it, it unfortunately becomes a new point because maybe Kev- some of Kevin Doyle's concussions came from being shouldered and falling hard on the ground rather than the heading the ball incident. You know, um, we we don't know whether it was a training ground or whether it was something else. Um, I, I honestly think look, and I I'll be straight. The research has to be done. You take headers out of the game or right, the ball in the air, you change the game Dramatis- it, I I think it's a mad idea. I think it's stupid. I think, I, I, I think also like. Kevin Doyle has made his career out of this. If you told him when he was starting to play with Cork City or even Pats before that, that look Kevin, there is a risk here that you could have to retire at 34 because of concussion, he would have taken that risk. Like I think most other footballers or professional footballers who want to be playing professional football. I think if you go back to the amateur game, and and this goes across soccer GA or rugby, we all play it because of that... The adrenal rush, the buzz, the, the shoulders, the knocks, the belts, the getting back up, the injuries, they're part and parcel of it. And if you take away that part of the game, you actually, in my opinion, you don't have a game. You know, it, it, it becomes... Look, I, th- I think Keane was a bit flippant and let you go and play chess like, but, you know, I, I thought his comments were taken completely out of context by an awful lot of uh, outlets, you know, the, the, the full what what he kind of said in in tot- in total was very um very and uh, um uh well put across but uh, you do change the game if you do you take out the impact like rugby you wouldn't have rugby what what would hurling and football be you know if you had the non contact you know but what can be done in the background to you know fix little bits you know we had the incident over the last few years where helmets have been made safer in both n f l and hurling you know so work has been done M- bit more needs to be done i agree but I don't think you can go changing the games as a result of, at the moment, very little evidence-based that it's heading the ball, as, in, in especially in relation to soccer.
1: Stephen, what does need to be done from here to try and reduce the concussion levels in sport? It's become, you know, it's obviously something, it's like anything else in the world now, I suppose, with communications is the way they are. We get news every second, we hear what Donald Trump is up there literally every second, the whole shebang, right? So everything is heightened these days. Maybe back 20, 30 years ago the problem was just as bad, we just didn't know know about it as much. Well, that could possibly, be, could possibly be the case. So is there an overreaction? I personally don't think there is, there is obviously, because it's such an important issue, it's, it's so important. But, you know, there, Mikey is right, I think he's what Mikey's trying to say, there has to be balance to the argument as well that, you know, you can't throw the baby out of the bath, dishwater type of thing, like, you know?
0: Well, there's a few problems here because, like you talk about research, and definitely more research needs to be done, but I was listening to Dawn Assel, the daughter of Jeff, who died of CTE as a result of heading football, and, like, the game is avoiding doing the research for, or for a lot of the past decade, like, so we're in a situation where... A sp- We don't know any more than we did when Jeff Vassil died or previous cases. I mean, it's not something new. I think she actually mentioned there was a Man United legend, Charlie Roberts, who died in 1939, having a brain operation as a result of his days as a footballer. So you have that. And you'd have to ask as well, Kevin Doyle, he retired when he was over in America, where the field of research is a lot more developed because of American football and that's got very very serious issues there but I mean were he back in Britain would the same decision have been made, would the same advice have been given that's a big unanswered question in my opinion and when you talk about banning headers like I don't ever see that happening but you need to have a situation where when players are making decisions about what they're doing that they know the risk involved Because they know the reward, and the reward is millions of euros, adulation, everything you could want. But, like, is the risk that you could end up with dementia down the line, like Jess Vassel did, and many of, even the English 1966 World Cup winning team, a number of them have serious
1: conditions now. But but then it has to there's a caveat there that the ball was obviously much heavier and got heavier in the weather conditions as well. So. But you could argue the ball's moving faster now,
0: so that True. goes back to the lack of research then. Mm. So, without the research, you know, and the incentives for anyone who's in the game or to keep the game the way it is, it's massive money-making thing, but it's something where research is needed, and maybe, I know in America, they've banned headers, I think, for under-tens or, or for some level of underage, so maybe there's a better way you can teach children that skill and maybe that would help mitigate the risks. But without the research, it's very hard to say any of these
1: things with any certainty. Rob, I was actually thinking about this this morning and obviously there this is a very localised school-wise <laughs> league level, but I remember one day, heading the ball on a wet day, playing with Kilreen in Belfian Park in Cork City and it took me about two days to recover from what I did. And I'm not joking, I had an unbelievable pain in my head. <laughs>
2: Probably because there was too much air pumped into the ball, which is <laughs> something that happens at schoolboy teams all over all over the world but let's let's not let's not get carried away with it with with the research needs to be done it absolutely needs to be done. there's no doubt about that, nobody can argue as Stephen said, the ball is moving faster, so it it needs to be looked into, and as Mikey put it, you know the players need to know the risks before they start in their professional path, but Kevin Doyle hasn't said. I've retired because of concussion from heading the ball. He said that mm. heading he, heading the ball had become difficult. We don't know the reasons behind, you know, behind that and and the concussions that that he had. Yeah, you know, exactly. We don't, we don't it know could, what what could specifically it. pertain to him. And to and and you know the very sad situation of the players on the the 1966 England team. You know, Nobby Styles now is another one who uh, you know has dementia. Um, but we have to remember that Jeff Astle retired in 1977, you know. Um since then the ball has been absolutely rev- revolutionised. I mean Adidas brought out the Tango for the 1982 World Cup, I think, you know, and the balls have only gotten lighter since then with the Questra and, you know, you know, the other ones that have come out. If the ball gets any lighter, they're going to be playing with balloons, you know. Mm. Um, and it's going to totally sanitize the game to take headers out of it. We m- might as well just all like play play foos football, you know. That won't be the only problem with sanitizing. You know, if if, if yeah. you if you take you know there's so much contact that's been taken out of the game, and to a certain extent that's good because it's allowed the better players to shine more. Yeah. You know, they're not getting kicked up and down the park every True, week because yeah, they're exactly. protected. But if you take if you take heading out of the game, which is one of the most you know natural parts of the game, and um, you know, one of the most important parts of the game. Then you're just you're just going to end up with a sanitised version of what was a, a great sport. Mm. You know, and this whole situation has just it's gotten a little bit out of control. As you said, Roy Keane was quite flippant with his remarks, which you know he can be at times. Times of various different situations, but the research needs to be done, and I think people are jumping the go- gun, saying banning, uh, saying we need to ban heading because. The balls now are so light. And I know you're talking about a situation where you had a bit of a pain in your head after heading and the ball. That I was but like a at a professional level they're all pumped to the same level, they all have the same level of air inside them. They're all the same weight, you know, and you know, it, I mean we all, we've we we all watched the World Cup in two thousand and two when the ball was flying everywhere and the goalkeeper was growing mad because they didn't know what trajectory it was going to take with the wind and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't think that the balls these days are the problem. I don't think heading is the problem. I think the real problem in the sport at the moment, um, and there was a big debate about this recently with with, um, with uh, Sadio Mane and, and his foot up, and he clashed with the, the Manchester City goalkeeper, Ederson. People were saying, you know, his eyes were on the ball, and that was so, and you know, I'm not saying he's a, a dishonest player or anything like that. Um, his eyes were on the ball, but it was dangerous play. Dangerous play is what needs to be taken out of the game. You know that's what's causing the concussions, not the balls, not guys hitting the balls on a regular basis. It's the dangerous play. It's the guys going up with the elbows. It's you know the Fellinis of this world. You know I mean how many times has he, has he been caught for it in recent years? He was sent off recently, got away with another one. So it's the dangerous play that needs to be taken out of the game, not not getting rid of the balls.
1: Okay, so we're going to move on to our third topic after talking about discussion there, Kevin Doyle. Our next topic is the coverage of club championships on air sport and Care and the importance of same. Stephen, three men particularly in here. Rob, not so much, to be fair, <laughs> but certainly the, the three of us here. Big into the Um I thought it was just absolutely brilliant of both channels to have such coverage on at the weekend of the club games. Given over the last couple of years there's so much you know spin coming from the club players that they want more uh, t- uh, recognition for all of the yards that they put in and they deserve it tenfold this is a brilliant initiative from, from now in fairness TG Carr have been, have been doing it for a good number of years and been exemplary at doing it now Air Sport have come aboard and do the same thing try and quantify the importance of it to the game because I, would, I don't know the viewing figures off the top of my head but I would imagine they were pretty damn high for the games that were shown at the weekend particularly with the Claire, Clara and Bally Hale game and the hurling Championship Kilkenny was an absolute hummer and deserved to be on our TV screens Yeah it's phenomenally important and
0: I mean when you think about TG Carr's coverage going back to 1999 and the moments they have recorded like even Paul Horgan's goal for Glen Rovers against Bally Gunner like Clarenbridge's comeback and the other end semi-final, like, and they've just covered some phenomenal matches and captured fantastic moments. And it was brilliant to have it this weekend on the two channels where I was out covering matches around Cork. On the Saturday, you come home and you're able to watch a Donegal Club football semi-final, which goes down to the wire and is decided by a last-minute point. And it's fantastic to be able to give that coverage to a sport which, when you accumulate the attendances over a weekend, I mean, it's very well followed but it's so spread out over Ireland that we just love to see it get that attention and it's increasingly important as well now with the changes of Congress I- the last two sessions which have I suppose mm. shrunk the duration of the championship uh, you know the senior championships will finish by the end of August now so more promotion needs to be given to the club games to fill that void to have promotion, to have GA on TV between September and May or to have club GA on TV between September and February when the league start. So I mean it's hugely important
1: and increasingly important for the GA to have that coverage from TG4 and air. Uh, Mikey, you know the way sometimes there's a perception that if you show something on TV that the t- attendances will dwindle. But actually I kind of have a bit of a theory that sometimes when you promote something that much that people are more encouraged to go because they just want to be part of it as well is that, you know I might be wrong in saying that but it, it just seems to me like I would imagine that maybe the attendances might might get a bit of a boost given that they're now the centre point of, of TV coverage as they are now, in fairness as I said TG been doing this for ages but just the fact that the air sport have come on board and joined that party I think it's absolutely brilliant and I would say there isn't a club player in the, in the country that was <coughs> disappointed with the coverage over the weekend from the two channels
3: yeah, no, I, I, I think my argument on this actually goes, uh, and I think you're going to hit the nail on the head there, is when we hear that there's a League of Ireland game being shown on TV tonight, people always say, oh, that's taken away from the attendances that are going to be at the local local soccer ground. Uh, it, it should be the opposite. It really should be the opposite. And what I do think, um, and I, I, we've seen it this year with the ladies' football, is if you can get a proactive sponsor in behind you, such as we have with AIB and the GAA and the club championships there, or if you had with uh, was this year with the ladies football, once you get a proactive sponsor in behind you, who will push the boundaries, um, because look, they're, they're getting their t- top in sport as well, but if you can push the boundaries with a proactive uh, support behind you, then you're onto a winner. And, and that's what we're seeing in uh, the Gaelic games from a hurling football, camogie and ladies football perspective. It is something the FAI need to take a leave out of. And I, I, I can not stress that enough. Participation levels of GE uh, if you take any local community, children are going to want to play what's put in front of them. They at the t- when they're young and when they're in school, they don't know if whether they're going to be a footballer or hardly. Yes, have, yep, their parents will have an influence, but if you put us soccer coaches out there, if you put. You know, rugby coaches out there, they're going to go out and play they, they mm. don't care what shape, size, colour the ball is they're going to go out and play um, and it's something again that the FAI have not been good at in comparison to the GA who have now a brilliant coaching structure in Cork under the Rebel Oak structure and the, Munster, and the Munster Council as well with the Munster coaches, you know, they have the structure right, the rugby are getting their structure right Ob- obviously it's a little tougher because it's not played as much, but when you've got those things now starting to actually feed through into the mainstream in terms of now, a few years ago when that was implemented, these people are now older and have a bigger influence and kind of want to see the boundaries being pushed. That, that rather than just seeing the odd club championship game on TG4 uh, after the inter county scene, they want to see them uh, earlier, straight after. You know, they want semi finals and they want the big big club games to be shown on TV. That actually has to continually evolve for me, if you ask. Because, uh, like, it's one thing c- having these games after the inter county season, but, like, these club players and these club matches deserve to be played in the height of summer <laughs> you know, in the best grounds, in the best conditions, with the best evenings you know, and whether that has to be a midweek sort of championship I, I, I'm not sure I'd love a carte blanche to go through it the whole GA season and, and sort it out that's not going to happen due to obviously advertising rights but the, the, the two things there which the GAR getting right and rugby union to a, a, a lesser extent is getting this grassroots, getting it right and getting a proactive sponsor it makes a huge difference and people will row in behind it
1: I 100% agree with that, I think it's uh, (coughs) it's very important to highlight the the work that's being done by those two stations and the teams behind that GA coverage because it is top drawer and credit to the GA as well for for showing that initiative to to branch out and to extend their coverage of the the club championships because it's imperative really. Now before we go we want to touch on The success of Paul Dunn at the British Masters last week, and ironically he's actually doing well again this week early on. So it's great to see Dunn going well. But the question I want to pose to the lads is, you know, Irish golf isn't a very, very strong place. But Stephen, which player, if there was one player that you want to look into the, for the 28th, eighteen season on tour, that you think is the most potential, like a real impact? Okay, aside from Rory, because Rory, as we know, Rory McIlroy obviously would be the so-called leading light, and uh, well obviously would be the actual leading light. So, aside from Rory, we say, you know, which guy in 2018 from uh, this island could make a, a real impact in terms of Irish golf in, on the European and RPG tour?
0: Well, you look at Dunn, and potentially it could be him, because coming into the British Masters, I think, if you include it now, he's had four out of his five last tournaments have been top 15s, and he's going out well again in the early stages um, at the Alfred Donald Links. Lynx. So, he's definitely got the potential... He's probably been seen as a bit of a Lynx specialist, or I suppose British Masters wasn't necessarily Lynx, but having contended at the Open, having done well at the British Masters, and he's doing well back, back at the Lynx in Scotland. But he has proven he can branch out, and he could be a guy to really improve this year. Shane Lowry's another one with obviously huge potential, and it was great to see as well this weekend that um, yeah. Seamus Power um, held on to his PGA Tour card, I think, by less than three yeah, hundred dollars, two hundred thirty odd dollars, or something. Yeah, yeah. but it still it gives him a huge platform to go onto a tour this year and know the lie of the land and build on that too. And it's just great for Irish golf that you're not relying on one one guy like Padraig Harrington back in the day or Darren Clark, and you're going into majors thinking just three or four guys who could make a huge impact here, and that's a great place to be in, and as well even in the women's game with the Maguires who are making huge waves at amateur level and it's great to have that breadth of talent in Irish golf. Mikey? Okay.
3: Yeah no I hundred I percent agree. Um I, I think the the point you hit on there about Seamus Power, like he, he represented Ireland at the Olympics would have been a massive uh, boost for him to be playing there with Padraig Harrington, coached by Paul McGinley. Delighted um, he met, he got his tour card. Uh, he was just inside the FedEx, the final 125 for the FedEx. He was very, he was actually inside the 125 and until the last tournament, just had a nightmare third round. Um, and I think the, the the confidence he will gain, much like Paul Dunn did last year, when he survived on the very last day in the Portugal Open, he, he got his tour card for the, the following year. Awful lot more relaxed this year about his final rounds. Seamus Power hopefully because he got himself into some very good positions over the year in the U.S. tournaments, um, has shot some shot the lights out in some of the early rounds. Just couldn't continue it for the four rounds. Maybe that was a bit of pressure, saying, "Look, it's my first year out here. I need to go big. I need to go hard, or else I'm going home." He om- he almost did have to go home, mm. but he he's got another lease of life. And now he, when he's going back for the second year to some of these tournaments that he played last year, he can kind be of like bit more relaxed a bit more composed and I think the other one to like, and, and I know you said n- about McIlroy but if Irish golf can get Rory McIlroy firing in all cylinders again there's no better player to watch because over the weekend at the British Masters he it was just the golf he played was a phenomenal you know, I know, I know and I know Don outscored him in the end but McIlroy was playing some brilliant brilliant golf and golf actually needs McElroy or sorry the European tour needs McElroy the US tour has Fowler it has Dustin Johnson it has Justin Thomas it has a load of these youngsters coming through who are all phenomenal golfers with character you know the European tour needs Rory Rory's no her- shooting off the hip it has to be done and um I think the European Tour needs him. So I, I, I would love for Seamus Forward to have a great year next year. I think he's a Waterford man as well. Um, but I, I'd like to keep an eye on Rory. But we are, everyone, everyone here and, and I suppose everyone in Ireland will always be looking out for Paddy's, Paddy Harrington's results as well on a weekly basis.
0: It was interesting actually to see uh, Paul Dunn said it helped him knowing that Rory McIlroy was the guy behind him chasing him. And that he knew Rory would make birdies on the back nine. He would post a score. Yeah. So Dunn went out and chased it and carried a phenomenal 61 to win it. But you'd just love to see Rory getting that fear factor back that he had when he was winning his four majors and just to get back to that standing where you don't
1: have guys relishing the prospect of McIlroy coming behind you. Excellent stuff, unfortunately. That's all we have time for this week on the Irish Examiner Paper Talk Extra podcast. My many thanks to Rob McNamara, Stephen Barry and Mikey Sheen for sitting in today. And we'll be back next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.